0: So anyways, let's get started. Um, In December of 2012, I was uh, living in Connecticut. That's where I moved here from. Um, And I was at work on December 14th. Um, I wasn't in full time ministry yet, but just like shortly after this day, I would get into full time ministry. Uh, I was kind of doing like part time youth pastoring and stuff. Um, and sometime yeah, at work in the morning, we were listening to the radio. This, one of my coworkers was always listening to the radio. And we started hearing about something that was happening in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, which was just, you know, four miles from my church and not far from, the ho- from my home. Um, it was a, a, a really a hard day, right, uh, because of everything that went down in Sandy Hook back back then. Um, it was a hard day for, for our town and really for the whole country to, as, as, as everybody started to process what had happened, right, and, and started to grieve what had happened there. Uh, and, and for those of us who were around in the area, it was, it was amazing because... Um, as usually happens, like the areas around the places where there are major tragedies like that um, were turned into memorials, right? People spontaneously came and found places to to lay flowers and cards and stuff like that. Um, and so people would come all over, and after a couple days, like people were driving across the country to to get there and, and to just remember and grieve what had happened. Um, and everybody was in shock, And and there was... Um, like just this whole movement of people coming in and just you know reflecting and grieving and, and, and thinking about what had happened um, and for, for our church, it was a time of, of a ton of ministry. Uh, Billy Graham, like the rapid response team they have a, they have a team of people that gets deployed wherever there's things like this happen, and we, we partnered with them and uh, just did some ministry training and just just praying with people and reaching out to people. Um, And then after about 10 days, this is kind of like the untold story, something really, um, I'll say, say strange happened. And that's that the the select woman of of Newtown, Connecticut, Sandy Hook is part of Newtown, Connecticut. Connecticut is weird. It's like towns within towns. It's very common. It's a strange place. Um, Very old, so they they don't want to change anything. We predate the United States. So... Um, So there's like the select woman is kind of like the mayor, and in the middle of the night, with with almost no notice, she sent in at like 2 a.m. all the town workers to remove all the memorials, to just take them away. Um, And on one level, I, I sort of understood it because like walking around town like it was it was crazy you couldn't drive anywhere it was just news trucks i mean you guys probably remember the news that time you turn on the news and it's like the only thing on the news um, and so it was just this this crazy i mean it was a media circus people are coming in from all over the place the town is overrun and, and, and i think that like uh, there was a sense that man we just got to we just got to get these people out of here uh, it was hard for the town to move forward. And I think the thought was like, okay, like we're going to just get rid of all these memorials and get rid of all these people. And then as a town, we'll just like grieve together later at a, at a different time and in a different way. I, so I, I sort of understood it. At the same time, I, I just think it's just like, that's not how grief works. It's not how grief works. Grief, grief is really inconvenient. Like, grief is really difficult. And, and there's not, um, you just kind of have to wade into it. Um, I've been a pastor for, for like 13 years, and um, as I've just had some, some experiences and I'm, I'm just starting to realize uh, how important grief is. Like if we don't grieve, because like, everybody's going to have something to grieve about. But if we don't really grieve, then we're going to be stuck. Stuck not just spiritually, spiritually definitely, but just beyond that. Like it's going to, it's going to, you're going to pay a price for that. If we don't practice the spiritual discipline of grieving, and I think it is a spiritual discipline, we pay a price. So before we launch in here, I just want to pray. I want us to pray together because I'm talking about something that is very sensitive. And a lot, of, I think that's a reason why, honestly, like we don't talk about grief very much because it's sensitive, Everybody here has a different experience of grief. Everybody here is going to be sensitive to different things. Some things I'm going to say, some of you guys are going to just feel like, man, that's, that's insensitive or not the right way. Or like everybody's got something. something uh, so, so what I just want to do is I just want us to pray. Because what we really need as we think about this topic is we need the Holy Spirit to come in and to reveal us like what's true. And so I'm going to do my best to pray. To, uh, to, to trust the Lord, to, to give me the right words to share with you, but, but we all just need, like, the Lord to do it, okay? So let's just pray in that spirit. Uh, so, Lord, we come together as one, Lord, the people online as well, Lord, people who are watching this, and, Lord, this is a heavy topic. And some people are in the middle of grief, like some people have have had past grieves, ungrieved grief. Uh, Lord, some people have never really gone into those things, Lord. We're we're all here from different places, Lord. We all have different sensitivities, Lord. We're um, having different experiences, but Lord... We want to know what's true about grief. or do we want to know what we can do as a church to, to just be a place where, where grief can happen and where we, where we can move on and, and do this, this spiritual work of grieving well. And Lord, we just want to be led by you. And so that's all I pray right now, Lord, that you would have your way, that Holy Spirit, you would just just, just come and speak to us now as we seek your wisdom about what it is to live a life where, where grief happens. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that uh, grief is a spiritual discipline, right? And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks, different different spiritual disciplines. Um, spiritual disciplines, like, especially Protestant, low church kind of, low church Protestants are like people who don't have all the liturgies and stuff like that. We don't really talk about spiritual disciplines that much. Growing up, like, it was just never in my vocabulary to think about, um, but... I think there's sort of a revival of the idea of spiritual disciplines as a part of discipleship, right? You notice the connection between disciple and discipline? Those words are related, right? Because disciples practice disciplines. They're, they're things that they do for the purpose of growing as disciples. So, so like, everybody needs spiritual discipline. And and, and my uh, argument is that we need to develop the right sort of spiritual disciplines in order to be everyday disciples, in order to be people who are leaning into this relationship of discipleship. Now, to be sure, 100% is true, grief is not on the traditional list of spiritual disciplines. You won't find it. But as I was praying through and thinking about this topic, it just like was just popping out to me like, no, we have to talk about this. So the normal list of spiritual disciplines includes things like prayer, things like like fasting, uh, things like worship, uh, study, you know, the normal stuff that Christians do and try to do and consider an important part of their, their growing in their spiritual life. But grief isn't usually on the list, but I absolutely think it should be. And here's why. Look, Dallas Willard defines spiritual disciplines. Of course, we have to have a Dallas Willard quote. It's the only one today. Uh, he defines spiritual disciplines this way. He says, disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. All right. I cannot make myself grow spiritually. I cannot make myself love the Lord more by, by, by any direct effort. But I can do things, disciplines, that will lead me to a greater love of the Lord, that will lead me to spiritual maturity. And I think grief is, absolutely fits in this category. I see, as we practice disciplines like like prayer and fasting and worship, we are being shaped into Christ-likeness, and, and we can lean into those disciplines and see that as we do those things, our hearts will be changed. We, our hearts will start to turn towards the Lord, not because we're doing direct effort, effort, but through an indirect process of spiritual transformation. As we take up disciplines, we are making room for God's grace to enter into our lives and transform us all the more. We're opening up ourselves to grace. We're just saying, God, like, I want you to, to do what only you can do so that these disciplines get us into the place where, where God's grace can be poured out into our lives and where we can be matured into Christ's likeness. And likewise, grief is a discipline. In grief, we do the things within our power to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. It's totally exactly the same idea as, as, as all spiritual disciplines. I cannot, in my power, get over it, right? Because that's what we think of the goal of grief is just getting over it, moving past it. There's no way I can do it. We'll we'll talk about why that's not actually what you're doing in a minute. But I cannot, in my power, figure out how to keep going when things are difficult. In grief, I enter into a, a season, and as I go through that season, I just like, I'm learning how to continue on despite the loss. I can't do that by direct effort. I can only do it by indirect effort, by just grieving. And the similarities between grief and other spiritual disciplines don't just end there. There's, there's another one. Just as with prayer and fasting and worship, like modern American people, the church, I think sort of in general, has forgotten how to practice spiritual disciplines. We've forgotten how to practice grief well. Which I think is really fascinating uh, because, like, probably um, more than any other culture at any time, we have more words to describe and talk about grief. We have, we have a more common language. Like, we have a language of psychology that's really a part of our popular culture now. Uh, we understand the stages of grief. How many people can name at least three stages of grief? Right? Like, more than half of us, right? We, we have this understanding of grief and, and what it's like. Um, and yet, I think despite all of our knowledge of the model of the process of grief, our culture doesn't grieve well. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. I, yeah, thank you. Bob's a psychologist, so he agrees. And so that's, you know, he's a therapist. We, he knows. We don't grieve well. I don't think we grieve. I, I, have, I have not grieved well. I'm, just, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. And I'm not talking about just the church. I'm talking about the whole culture that we live in. We do not grieve well. So why is that? frankly, it's because we've lost the discipline. We've lost the form, the art, the discipline that's involved in this. It takes discipline. You have to learn how to do it. You have to learn how to do it. It's not just something you do intuitively. That's what I'm going to say. It's not something you do intuitively. Well, let's take a look at ancient Israel. Ancient Israel, they had a discipline of grief. Deuteronomy 34, 8, Moses dies. The leader of the nation dies. And what happens? Well, the sons of Israel wept over Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. What Israel understood, and honestly, what, what cultures all over the world for, for forever had understood until very recently is that when grief comes, when, when, when an event comes, when loss comes, we actually have to enter into days of mourning. You just have to go into it. Most cultures up until recently had built in grief and mourning disciplines. Just part of culture. And we've left those behind. We've left those behind. But I'll tell you, like every person that I've, I've ever like, done a funeral for, Always ask this question in some form of other, like, like what do we do? There's, there's not an intuitive sense that when there is loss, we do X. We don't have that discipline anymore. We don't even know. We don't know how, what we should do. We don't know when the memorial should be. We don't know how long this should be. We have no sense of what it's like. We've lost the knowledge. We don't know how to grieve. And understand this. Look, I'm not, I'm not prescribing ancient Israelite mourning practices, right? I'm not saying 30 days. That's the magic number. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, you don't have to have a 30-day mourning period to get over grief. I'm not saying uh, you just need to be, sit, sit around to be sad and on the 31st day, you won't be sad anymore. I'm not saying any of that, okay? Um, what I'm saying is simply this. We've lost a sense of the importance of grief and the dynamic of mourning. And we've replaced the idea That grief and mourning ought to one take a long time, two be known publicly, something that's done out in the open, and three uh, be your immediate priority, like something that you should stop your whole life for and just do. We've replaced that those ideas, which I think was was really a part of ancient Israel and a lot of cultures, with thinking that grief should be as quick as possible. Like, take as long as you need, but not too long. You get that sense when you're in grief where people are like, oh, take forever, but could you get back to work? Because we've got some things to do, and life needs to keep moving on. We've replaced it with the idea that it should be quick as possible, as private as possible. We really think that grief is just a private thing that you should go into your room and do by yourself. Where did that come from? And we replace it with the idea that it should be, uh, that we should manage it so that we can get on with life while we're grieving, so we don't have to get too much into it, so we can simultaneously keep up with things while we're grieving. It's a very different perspective about what grief should look like than I think what, certainly what we see in ancient Israel, but also just what uh, cultures have had. So what I'm saying, right, is we've lost that. If Israel was filled with people like us, people like, in our culture, like formed by our culture, uh, then when Moses died, probably some people would say, you know, 30 days seems like a long time, uh, we've got to keep wandering in the desert here, we've got a lot of wandering to do, um, so, you know, let's, let's move on with things. Actually, they were right at the cusp of the promised land. They would have been eager to move on, I get that, but instead, they sat 30 days, uh, and they would say things like, well, well, shouldn't like we be, like, each individually grieve in our own way instead of just everybody taking on this 30-day discipline of all weeping and mourning together? Like, shouldn't we do it in our own way? Doesn't, like, not everybody needs 30 days of mourning. See, what we want and what our culture wants is we want tailor-made grief. We want tailor-made grief. We want to grieve in our own ways, in our own individualistic ways, and that's because we're individualistic. That's the way we are. But in ancient cultures, Israel understood and cultures have understood uh, that it's right and good and important to enter into seasons of grief, seasons of grief, like to just do that for a while. People need to enter into mourning when loss happens. People need to actually subject themselves to that season and just be in it and not try to get out of it as quickly as possible. Not make an end, run around it, not try to tailor make it for them, but just take on a discipline of grief and grieving well. When trouble comes, you need to and I need to mourn. You need to enter into it, count the loss, hold it, see it, understand it for what it is. You need to take up the discipline of grief. You need to take more time than you think you need, more time. Because you know what happens? Like, you know, we start to think, okay, I've processed it. And then we move on. And then, of course, we we haven't. We haven't really processed it. You need to take more time than you think you need because you're doing something. And and as you grieve, like, it can't be done by direct effort. You're doing something. You're doing things that can't be done except by entering into a season of grief when you're grieving and and being subject to that grief as a discipline because, like, you have the expectation that the discipline is going to help you do something that you can't do by direct effort, which is to heal. That's what grief is for. You got to heal. Bill Dunn and Kathy Leonard, they have a little book called Through a Season of Grief, and I'm going to put up a few resources later, Um, but it's a good thing that they're they're a part of the Grief Share ministry, and it's like a 365-day devotional about grief. And they say this in in that devotional. I thought this was good. If you want to heal from grief, you must go through it. You cannot go around it. The grieving process is a healing process. Do not look at healing as the goal you can only attain at the end of the process. Each step you take is a part of your healing. Going through grief, understanding that it's a process, that it takes time, it's not something that can be short-circuited, that's actually how you grieve well. You understand that the point of grief, the point of going through mourning isn't just to get through it. It's to be in the process. That's another way, why, uh, another way that grief is a lot like the other spiritual disciplines, right? The benefit isn't because I get through it. I don't pray so that I can say, I prayed. And that, that's going to somehow benefit me that I prayed. I could check off a box and say, well, I did my duty today. I prayed today. The point isn't doing the thing. The point is immersing yourself in a process And then healing. Prayer isn't about saying, oh, well, God expects me to pray X, Y, Z, so I have satisfied God's need for prayer. Prayer is me entering in and saying, look, when I pray, I'm asking the Lord to do this thing of kind of like getting into my heart and dealing with my emotions and the unseen things within me, like welcoming him in and having his grace do a work that only he can do. The same is true with grieving. It's not about just doing it. It's not about just getting through it. I went to a conference last week. Uh, It was really fun. It was really well organized. The first time they ever did this conference, and I've been to a few first-time conferences before, and they're always train wrecks, because, like, the people don't know. Uh, And they did a really good job with the organizing, but there was one snafu. The one snafu. I don't know where that word came from. Uh... There was uh, a guy, a friend of the organizer, he lived in, lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and he works at the best brisket restaurant in Nashville. So, you know, the best of the best in terms of barbecue and brisket. And he said, I'm going to drive my smoker from Nashville, Tennessee, to Boise, Idaho, and I'm going to smoke meat. But he, but he said, you know, but because, you know, meat isn't just like ready, it takes hours and hours, like, you got to pre-order your, your, your meal, and so I, like a person who loves barbecue, pre-ordered my meal. And then you can pick it like a pickup time. So I'm going to pick it up during the lunch break on the second day, right? One o'clock on the second day of the conference because, you know, I want to eat my meat. <laughs> um, and so I, I get there, and, and, if, and the thing is, a lot of other people have the same idea. And so my one o'clock pickup, I, like the line was like, so long that I was like, that isn't, that's going to be like a 7 o'clock pickup, right? It was so long. So I, just, I just gave up on it. But, you know, the guy was gracious, so we came back later the next day. And I said, you know, like, we've, we've, like, prepaid this thing. Like, we were going to pick it up yesterday, but, like, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and, and, and so in, the, in this kind of off-peak we went in, um, and, the, and the guy said, you know, he's sort of very chill and from Nashville, said, well... I know a lot of people were upset about not having barbecue for lunch yesterday, but it just takes how long it takes. <laughs> right? He was very relaxed about it. I was hungry, um, but I thought that was good wisdom. It just takes how long it takes. Things just take a while. to smoke meat and get it to really d- delicious, it takes a long time. Grief is like barbecue. It just takes how long it takes. It takes how long it takes. You don't try to make a line and get through it as quickly as possible. It's just going to take how long it takes, and it's worth it. It's worth it. That was some good brisket.) <laughs> Uh, okay, the analogy is breaking down because are, are you the brisket? So, and don't, don't think too hard about it. The goal isn't being done with grief. It certainly wasn't the goal for the barbecue man to serve up the brisket. It was just for it to take how long it take. The goal was running through the process, the whole course, so that, so that the thing was right and proper and good. We need to have time and make time to grieve. You have to grieve your losses. And, you know, a lot of people, like, don't do this because they say, well, my loss isn't as big as this person's loss, and my life isn't so difficult as this person's, right? My, my, the pain that I feel isn't as big as this. You know what, guys? All the loss, the things that are difficult in life, it could be a loss of a loved one, but also just the things that we consider as lesser, loss of a job, loss of a relationship, all these things are things that we can grieve, and I think it's important that we grieve them. And not only does it matter uh, that we each grieve our losses, but I think it really matters that we be a church, right? We be a church where people are given permission to grieve. I'd really love that to be a part of our culture. I think it's like a hugely important part of evangelism, the church be uh, the much better alternative to life in the world. Like we have a hope and we need to be holding out that hope. And, and part of that is just being people who can, can grieve well and, and love and care about people who are in difficult times. You have to get that grieving people always feel like outsiders. That's part of the acute grief. You always feel like you're outside and nobody understands what you're going through and you you like, want to get over it. That's, that's where the impulse to get over it comes from. You just want to be a part of life again, but it's difficult. And this is, again, this is not just a church problem, although it is a church problem. We don't know how to deal with grief very well. It's, it's a part of our culture, and that this is actually nothing new. This is nothing new. This has always been a difficulty part, part of culture. Romans 12, Paul talks about grief. We, we know this first part, Romans 12, 15. We know 12, 15. We don't think about how it connects to 12.16, but here, let's read both of them. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We, we know that verse. We, we quote that out of context all the time, right? Just throw it out there, um, right? But then I, I think it's pretty closely connected to verse 16, which says, be of the same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation, Everybody knows how to rejoice with people who rejoice, right? That's easy, right? Paul's presenting the easy thing. Much harder is to weep with those who weep. There's some people can manage that. Some people can manage it. We know what it's like to be empathetic, right? But I think it's really interesting. He goes on, he says, be the same, t- same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. A lot of us think, okay, yeah, I can weep with those who weep. I can be sad with those who being sad, which I don't think is what he's saying, right? Um, But then he goes on, he says, associate with the lowly. Like, it can be hard sometimes to feel like we can be around people who are going through a difficult time. But Paul says, you know, associate with those people. Just be around them. Spend time with them. Don't avoid them. Just be a part of their lives, in the church, we can be and do something unique. We can love both those who rejoice and those who mourn and enter into both of those seasons with those people. And, and of course, it's, it's easy to rejoice uh, with, with, with those who rejoice, but we can also associate with those who are mourning. The church can be a place where hurting people are loved and they have a place in it, right? Not to get over it, but just to be in the middle of their difficult season, to belong, to be a part. I really think that we have this thing, like where we walk around eggshells around hurting people. But I think most hurting people, in my experiences, when I've been going through a difficult time, hurting people don't want to be like the center of attention. They don't want to have the whole world stop for them. They just want to feel like they're a part of the world again that there's gonna be a time when they can just be around people again. When I was a, a pastoral intern my junior year of college, lo, those many years ago, um, my, my mentor picked me up one day. It was really, it's like, I will remember this. It's probably like the best lesson anyone's ever taught me about being a pastor. Um, he, he, he picked me up one day. He didn't tell me at all what we were gonna do. He got in the car. We drove to a funeral home He didn't say anything about where we were going. We drove to a funeral home. We stopped out front, and he looked at me and said, we're gonna go inside. There's like a 40-year-old woman who just lost her husband like 12 hours ago. She has two kids. So we're gonna go inside, and we're just gonna do this. He says, we're going to be a non-nervous presence. Just that's all we're gonna do. We're gonna sit with this person, We're not going to be like she's going through all these emotions, all these challenging things. Like she's in the middle of acute grief. We're just going to sit there. We're not going to think about ourselves and how we feel. We're just going to put our anxiety away. We're just going to sit as the person, let them be and feel all the things that they're feeling. We're just going to calmly pray for them, be with them for a little while, and then we're going to go. Because I think sometimes like we think, man, you go into a grief situation and we think, how can I fix this? What can I do? How can I get this person out of this grief? And you can't. And if you think that you can, you won't know how to be around a person in grief. What people in grief need you to do is just put your own anxiety and your desire to fix every problem away and just sit with them. Put their hand on their shoulder. Look them in the eye. Pray with them. Just treat them like a normal person. Just going through a difficult time, because you can't answer all the questions they have. They probably don't want you to. But by your presence, by just being there, associating with the lowly, weeping with those who weep, we can do so much good work. We can give people a place in the world because that's what people in acute grief, they just just don't know how life will ever be the same. And you can just serve them By just showing it's going to look difficult and painful, but over time, like, you're going to find a way back to that place. I think this is just so important. We need to create a space in your life for the people that are lowly, that are really hurting. Because we have to understand this. Like One of the results of healthy grieving is that as people heal, they just start to learn How do I not get over my loss, but how do I go through my life with this loss? Because it's not going to go away. Grief isn't about getting over things. It's about learning how to be yourself now that you have a loss. And half of the battle is figuring out, like, how do I socialize again? Now that I'm living under the weight of this thing, because it's not going to go away. How do I continue to like be and and live this life that I was living now that I've, you know, gone through this? We serve people in grief by creating space for them to figure that out. Just giving them time, letting them go through the disciplines, sitting in their grief for a little while, giving them all the permission and just, just, just loving them being non-nervous around them, caring for them. They need space to belong in the middle of their hurt. That's what people need. So don't treat people like they're, <laughs> who are in grief like they're made of glass. Like, let's, like, embrace them, love them, care about them. If people, like, sometimes, you know, and men are pretty bad about this. Like, when people start to cry, we think, oh... I've got to stop those tears, right? But sometimes people just need to be in a place and they need to be allowed to cry and, and know that they're loved. They're welcome to cry. They're welcome to mourn. They're welcome to go through a difficult season. And they're, they're going to be loved and they're going to belong in the middle of this place. Because there's nowhere a person who goes through grief feels like they belong in culture. So that we can do that. We can just be, be a place where, where, where they're welcome, where they belong. And we can just pray with people. Pray with people, especially if you know them well. Just just pray with people. Pray with people. Ultimately, what someone in grief needs is they need something that only God can do. They need to change and, and, and heal in a way that only God can. And we should be so Eager, Like, we can serve people well by praying for them in the church. We should be a place where when people are hurting, we go together with, with, to the Lord and ask Him to do what only He can do. Wrapping up a little bit here... Um, just to be really practical, right, like, like what does the discipline of grief involve? Well, it, it involves, just, just review, taking time and space, taking all the time you need and all the space you need to grieve. But I, like, when we do it halfway, we end up not doing it completely. We need to just throw ourselves into grief when we have the need to grieve, take the time and the space to grieve. Number two, like lean into your relationships in grief. Find people, people within the church who can walk alongside you in the middle of that and be a church who can partner with people, who can come with people and care about people who are going through difficult things, right? And then a third thing, seek out some guidance from people who've experienced similar things. Um, there's great ministries out there. One called is called Grief Share. Like if you are if you have been in acute loss or you know someone who's gone through it, Grief Share is just like a, a, a gathering for people to sit and talk about and process their grief together. And people who are all going through similar things. So there's great ministries that do that, and there's some in the area. If you want to to find one, you can go to their website, number one, or you can just talk to me. I know people who doing it are doing it in the area. And number two, um, like we can we can find other people who are going through loss. But also, there's just great wisdom out there. Um, A couple of resources. Again, I'm just getting a little practical here as as we're going to wrap up in a second. A couple of resources. I think I've got a slide. Uh, You know, there's a million great books out there, um, but I'm just putting out a few of my favorites. C.S. Lewis has a great uh, memoir called A Grief Observed. And honestly, it's just his journal for the time he lost his wife um, and it's just his thoughts. And, like, like we, we can come alongside people, even people who aren't living anymore, and learn from them how they process their grief. Um, one of my favorite resources uh, is called Every Moment Holy Volume 2. Every Moment Holy is, like, um, this is weird for, for Protestants, right? Uh, it's a liturgy book. Liturgies are just, like, written prayers, um, and it just has, they're all about grief and loss and hurting. The, th- the thing is that I, I love about this is that most people, when they're in the middle of grief, like, don't have the words to pray. Because you you're processing something that you don't fully understand. By praying written prayers, you're actually someone that is giving you words that you don't have and helping you to think through your loss, so I'd really, um, if you've ever been in grief, uh, that's a really great one. And then there's that other book that I mentioned, the the Grief Share through a season of grief. That's like 365 day daily devotional. Um, those are just 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 some really important things. But as we wrap up here, the worship worship team can come up here. I just want to take a minute and, and just just talk to you about. Um, it's just things that I've observed, like one thing that I've seen, like, honestly, if I, if, if I can go back and think about my, like, you know, whatever, more than a decade now of being a pastor, the thing, the common thread that I see that is a, an obstruction to growth in the life of a Christian, someone who's already given their life to Jesus, it is ungrieved loss. It is such a difficult thing. It, it becomes such an obstacle to growth. Ungrieved losses have the potential, I think, to, to make the Christian life much harder than it needs to be. Yeah, I'm trying to be really sensitive about the way I say that. I apologize if I was insensitive. Um, because grief is the process of right, like experiencing loss, but then coming to situate that loss in the context of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, love, promises. And that is a difficult thing to do. It's, it's, it's something that takes time. It's something that only God is going to do coming to terms with the fact that yes i've lost something something dear to me something important to me but to still hold on to hope that god is good and that he cares for me and that he sees me right where i am that is a thing that the lord can only do and it's not easy and so like i want you i want you to just think about that and to think for a second because a lot of us like, think about our losses and the, the things that we've gone through and we think, I'm over it, I'm past it, it's fine. But some of the things that we start to notice, the signs that we aren't, are things like bitterness and anger and um, anger towards God. Like, and I'm not saying like, ooh, you were angry at God. How, how dare you? Like, like, these are the natural things that happen when we have ungrieved losses in our lives. Because we, we have to wrestle with this question. God, you say you're so good. You say you care about me. But how did this happen? How does... The, 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 uh, what the, what the world, word presents as like a good God, a good Father, one who cares about me, who sees me, who's always with me, even in the, 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 the shadow of the valley of death. Like, like how is that God consistent with the pain that I've gone through? And um, I, I would say that there are, as we grieve, as we do this discipline of grief, we might not come to an answer to those questions, but we will come to peace in it. Isaiah 50, 53, 3-4 says this, about speaking about Jesus, speaking about the Messiah, thinking about, speaking about the things that he was doing for our sake. It says this, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and like one from whom men hide their face he was despised and yet we did not esteem him surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken and smitten by god and afflicted your grief and your pain and the loss Jesus not only like is familiar with those things, he's acquainted with grief, pain, and loss, all the things that are part of being a person, but like he bore those things, he bore our sorrows, and he has something to do with them. He has healing for us in the middle of those things, in the middle of the open wounds of life, in the middle of grief. He has accommodated and made a way so that there can be healing in the middle of those things. And grief is this process of coming to understand that, yes, it is true that I have suffered a great loss, not to minimize that loss, not to get over it, right, but to understand it, reconcile it for what it is. And yet also to understand that I am still loved by the Lord like he cares for me, he sees me, he's with me. I want us to close out and just actually read you like a few lines from one of this every moment holy book. These are ones that really spoke to me about. I really think I just like wrap up what grief is all about. It says this. In one hand, I grasp the burden of my grief. While with the other, I reach for the hope of grief's redemption. And here between the tensions of the two, between what was and what will be, In the very is of now, let my heart be surprised by, shaped by, warmed by, remade by, the same joy that forever wells within and radiates from your heart, O God. The fruit of the discipline of grief is exactly this, that our hearts would be surprised by, shaped by, warmed by, reed made by the joy of the Lord that radiates from the heart of God. So, Lord, I just ask you that on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, Lord, if we have ungrieved losses, that we would go back, Lord, and have this work done, Lord, as we lean into the spiritual disciplines, not avoiding grief, but, Lord, just saying, God, I I know that you can do something with it. You can heal it, Lord, that we would truly experience that, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. And, Lord, for those who are even in a season of grief right now, Lord, would you heal them? Lord, would you bind up their wounds? Would you draw near to them? Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you be so close to them and remind them by your word of your goodness and your promises, your grace towards them? And Lord, would you surround them with brothers and sisters, people who care about them, who can love them and let them go through this process? Lord, leaning into the relationship, not being afraid of the pain and the difficulty of it. Lord, Lord, let us be a place, Lord, where people can heal. Lord, bring your healing. Bring hope to us, Lord Jesus. Let us be ministers of your hope, Lord. Let us be people who see you for all you are, Jesus. You are the God who has taken on flesh, dwelt among us, come in the middle of our pain, Lord, and does not shy away from us. Lord, you're good. Remind us of that, I pray, in Jesus' name.